Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Dan Rogers at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning as we head into week two of our series, Word of the Prophets. Last week, Pastor Graham launched us off as we looked at complacency in the book of Amos. But this morning, we're going to focus in on Habakkuk and what it means to live by faith. Now, I'll be honest with you, Habakkuk is one of the strangest books in all of Scripture. I kid you not. Read it, you'll find out for yourself. He's a prophet. So he's a mouthpiece for the Lord. He's there to call the people back. But nowhere in here does he actually address the people of God. And that would seem strange to us. That's fairly core to what a prophet is all about. But he doesn't do that. The entire book of Habakkuk is actually a conversation between him and God. And there's something fascinating about that. In chapter 1, Habakkuk cries out to God and says, Lord, there's injustice everywhere. Your people have abandoned the law. They've abandoned you. Why aren't you doing anything? Don't you care, God? So he's saying, don't you care, God? How long are you just going to sit back and, and watch this all unfold? How long will you be idle? And God says... I'm not. I'm actually already at work. Now, on the one hand, that's incredibly reassuring. God is at work. He's got this. But on the other hand, it's not reassuring at all because this is what he says to Habakkuk. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that dreaded and fearsome nation, and I'm going to use them as an instrument of my judgment. I'm already at work. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I don't think that's the answer that Habakkuk was looking for. When he came before God, I'm pretty sure he was hoping to hear something drastically different. But God's judgment is coming. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians are coming, which means that things are about to get really dark for the people of God. And you've got to remember that the northern half of the kingdom had already been destroyed. God allowed the Assyrians to come and to take them away because of their unfaithfulness. So God had been calling them back for a long, long time. And then they just wouldn't listen. They were lost. Forgotten what it meant to be the people of God, a people who live by faith. We get to chapter 2, verse 4, and God gives Habakkuk a picture of two kinds of people. So we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to unpack that picture, and then we're going to dig into some of the Christianese language, because I want you to really understand what God is calling us to. This is his heart for his people. His heart for for Habakkuk and and the faithful remnant in the midst of the brokenness and the unfaithfulness that's all around them, in the midst of the darkness that is to come, this is his heart for his people. Just one verse, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, it's one picture, but the righteous shall live by his faith. 
Or I really like the way that the NLT puts it, New Living Translation. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. Use that word crooked because that word upright literally means straight or level. So it's, it's not upright, it's not straight or level within them. There's a crookedness in here that flows out to the way they live their lives. That's one side, but the righteous will live by their faith. It's just a short little verse, and it gives us a picture of two kinds of people. You've got the puffed up, conceited man whose confidence is in himself. That's the truth. I don't need God. I've got this. I can do this. I can make it happen. I can fix it. There's a picture of self-reliance. And in that place, there's no room for submission or surrender. Now, why would I humble myself before God? I've got this. I can do this. God says that he's puffed up. He's conceited. That he's living as if he sits on the throne, as if he's king. But actually, that robs him of the fullness of life that God has for him. And if we're honest, we see that person everywhere, all around our world. But it's not just outside of the church, we see that person in the church as well. I think one of the greatest examples of this kind of thing within religiosity would be the scribes and the Pharisees. If you don't know who they are, they were the religious elite of Jesus' day. They were the experts in the law. And they didn't like Jesus all that much because he was upsetting the status quo. And status quo made them rich and powerful and important. And Jesus threatened all of us. They didn't like him. We read all these stories where they try to trap Jesus with these curly questions. They ask him things like, you know, Jesus, should we or should we not, as the people of God, be paying taxes to Caesar, who also declares himself to be a God? Should we be doing that as citizens of Rome, or should we not? Is that unfaithfulness? It's the kind of question that they're asking. It's really controversial, right? I don't really care about the answer. They're just using it as a way to get at Jesus. So if he answered it one way, they're going to grab this group over here and they're going to stir them up against Jesus. Do you see what he said? If he answers it the other way, that's okay. Well, then they'll just get this group over here and they'll use them to cause issues for Jesus. It's brilliant, right? It's political genius. The only problem is, and it's just a small problem, they're trying to trap God. Trying to trick an outsmart God. And that's pretty difficult for us. So every time Jesus would answer the question in a way that actually diffused it. And it would amaze them. It happened again and again and again. And after a while you start to really dislike these so-called religious experts. Because they don't seem very religious. It doesn't sound like a plan that kind of came out of some intense time of prayer and, and worship. It doesn't sound like something God would endorse. It sounds like man's attempt to desperately hold on to what is mine. My power. My importance. And even if God is the one trying to take it away from me, I'm going to fight him. Because it's mine. It's this picture for us of just how puffed up Religious people can become. 
And Jesus is dodging bullets left and right. He finds a way out of every trap. And not once do they sit back and think, you know what? Maybe he is who he says he is. Not once. And they just think about how they're going to get him the next time. I answered that really well, but don't worry, we'll come up with another way. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll trap him. It's this incredibly sad reality that even within religiosity, even in the church, we see puffed up, conceited people who have lost what it means to live by faith. I grabbed hold of something else. Second Timothy chapter 3 says this, In the last day there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, and a whole bunch of really unpleasant stuff. They will be swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, so I want you to see, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. They say the right things, do the right things, they're here, and they look the part, But actually, don't live by faith. That's the first picture that God gives us over here. And I would say to you this morning, don't be that person. The Pharisees knew the scriptures better than anyone. They ticked every single box They were right there, and at the same time, they were so far from God. Here they are, opposing him, trying to bring him down. Don't let that be you. Don't be so close and yet actually so far from God. God has more for you than that. This brings us to the second picture that God gives us. Compare that with the righteous man who lives by faith. And I want to unpack some of the Christianese within that because I know it's so easy to nod your head and agree and think, yep, that's me. I've got faith. I'm I'm living by faith. That's talking about me. So I want to unpack what that really is. That word righteous is incredibly significant. It's talking about someone who's in right standing before God. Justified. Now, we look at the New Testament, and it makes it abundantly clear. That's not something we're capable of without God. Romans chapter 3 says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious, aware of our sin, our failings. And Paul is highlighting something that every single one of us already knew through experience. That we can't do this. That we can't reach the standard the law demands. We can't obey perfectly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't do it. So going back to Habakkuk, that's why God gave them the sacrificial system. That's why they go to the temple again and again and again. Sacrifice bulls and, and goats and spotless lambs on the day of atonement. It wasn't for the fun of it, I promise you. I don't think they enjoyed that. They knew that righteousness was beyond them, out of reach. And because they, 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 just, they knew just how much they needed the grace and the mercy of God. 
And so they embrace the sacrificial system. And here's the thing, that sacrificial system was just a shadow of what was to come in Jesus. That God's plan has always been for Jesus to be the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. So that in him and through him, all people would be made righteous. It was always God's plan. Which means that you and I stand here today in right standing before God for one reason. Because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with us or our good works. It's all about Jesus. All of it. Here's where we start to see the significance of what God is really saying. The most important thing in your life today is whether or not you're living in right relationship with God, in right standing before him. And Habakkuk says that righteousness is inextricably linked to a life of faith. You don't get one without the other. That the way of righteousness starts and ends with faith. And this is where we have to be really careful like I said, it's so easy for us to go, yep, that's me. I've got faith. I'm living by faith. I mean, you're here, right? Of course you are. So I want to spend the rest of this morning talking about what that really is. What is faith? Where does it come from? What does it, what does it mean to live by faith? How do we grow it? And then we're going to come back to Habakkuk and allow God to show us what kind of person we truly are. That God would kind of lay us bare and reveal the truth. And there's some humility that has to take place within that. That you'd be willing for God to lay you bare and to show you the truth. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a biblical definition of faith. I want to give you an illustration to help unpack that for you. Because I actually think that we're people of faith. It's human beings. That we exercise faith every single day. We just don't realize it a lot of the time. We all have faith. We put it in things all the time. It's just a question of where we put our faith. So here we go. Every one of you had to do some travel to get here this morning. Nobody lives here. That'd be weird. Everybody did some travel to get here this morning. Judging by the cars out there, I would say that most of you drove to get here this morning. Is that fair? Most of you jumped in a car and you drove. Is that fair? Yep. So you woke up, you got ready, you jumped in the car and you started driving. But whether you realized it or not, I would say to you, that was an act of faith. Paul says it's an assurance of things hoped for. So when you jumped in that car this morning, you started driving and completely by faith believed that your brakes were going to work. Believed. Now you're all here, so I'm assuming that it went okay for you and that you made it. Nobody needs a new car, but that was an act of faith. That was an act of faith. I don't think many of you checked your brakes this morning. You're here in your Sunday best, so I don't think many of you were under the car, you know, checking your brake pads and the calipers and all the wiring and making sure it was all good before you jumped in. I'm guessing that you probably didn't do a brake check as you were coming down the driveway to go, oh yeah, we're good, we can keep driving. I don't think you did that. No, you had a complete assurance that your brakes were going to work. And why wouldn't you? They have every other time. That's faith. What about the seat that you're sitting on? 
I didn't see anyone checking the structural integrity of their seat before they sat down this morning. Now you just walked on in, made your way to the same place that you sit every single week. That's what we do, right? It's my seat. Don't touch my seat, right? And then you just sat down with great authority because it's my seat, right? It's my seat. Don't touch it. Just sat down. That was an act of faith. That you had an assurance of things hoped for. That your brakes would work. That our church isn't completely stingy and so your seat would actually hold you. That it would work. And you did something. You acted because of that assurance. And because you've done it so many times, like every single day, that assurance is really strong. It's been tested again and again and again. And so it's strong. Second part of that definition is that faith is a conviction of things not seen. So again, you didn't physically see the brake pads this morning. You weren't in here down on your hands and knees checking the bolts on our chairs. It's a deep conviction of things you did not see. That's a biblical definition of faith. And you can see that actually we do this every single day. We place our faith in things continually. So what about God? What does it mean to have faith when it comes to God? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is saying that you and I are saved. We're made righteous by the grace of God. Grace simply means unmerited favor. That we receive something that we did not deserve, right? That's what he's talking about. So we're saved by grace alone. And we receive that grace by the faith that we place in it. But here's the thing that I want you to see. That all of that is a gift. Even our faith. Even our faith. I'm not saying that we don't have a part to play. I, I believe that we do, right? Paul is so clear that even in our faith, God is at work. Every part of that salvation process is a gift from God. So if you believe in God, you love and worship him, you're pursuing Jesus every single day, that's fantastic. But you still don't have any grounds to stand over or judge someone else because all of that is a gift of God. It's really important for us to understand that even in our faith, God is at work. There's a God element. It's a gift. And it takes the weight off of our shoulders. This isn't about trying harder. This is about surrendering. That's what we're talking about. This is about surrendering to the one who gives, trusting in him. And if you hear this morning... And you're really struggling with faith. Maybe your faith is a little weak. Then I, I want to share a story with you from Mark chapter 9. It's one of my favorite passages in all scripture. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. It's an amazing experience, right? His disciples, this is what he comes down to. His disciples are arguing with the scribes. Because they tried to cast a demon out of a boy and it didn't work. Bit of an issue, right? So Jesus walks into this crowd with this massive argument going on and the father of this demonized boy comes up to him and says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grimes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And then listen to this. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Isn't that an incredible story? I think it could be one of the most beautiful and inspiring stories of faith in all of Scripture. A fair few of us have probably been there. And you might be there right now. I believe, Jesus, truly I do. I know you're good. I know who you are. But there's a part of me that's struggling. It's a part of me that holds back. It's a part of me that's just not sure. Can can you really do this, God? Are you really good? Do, Do you have this? Can I trust in you? It's just some stuff that I really don't understand. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to help me in that. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's an incredibly powerful prayer. God put it there because he wants you to pray it, by the way. Faith isn't the absence of doubt. I want you to know that. It's not the absence of doubt. But the best thing to do with those doubts and those struggles is to take them to the one who gives us faith in the first place. You don't have to hide that from God. He wants to help you in the midst of it. He's willing to meet you right where you are in your doubts and your struggles and actually to walk with you. He wants to help you in that. I want you to pray that prayer. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I remember when Anna and I were trying to start a family. We kind of experienced what this looks like. It just wasn't really happening for us. We had a number of miscarriages. We went to heaps of different doctors, every doctor you could possibly imagine. And they were telling us it was going to be really difficult because of Anna's health. It was just a really tough time for us. And we struggled to understand what God was doing in the midst of all of that. We had some questions, I'll be honest with you. The stuff that we just didn't understand. God, where are you in the midst of this? I know you could, but this sucks. Where are you in here? Had some questions and stuff we didn't understand. Probably never will till we reach glory and we get that, that grand perspective God shows us. But here's the thing. We were determined not to allow our present circumstances to shape our understanding of who God is. So we prayed that prayer again and again. I believe Jesus help me in my unbelief. I know you're good. I know you're always working for our best. I can't, I can't understand how that fits together with what's going on, but I'm going to keep praying that prayer. Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. You know what it meant that we pressed in instead of turning away. We walked that road with God, and that changes everything. That God would actually go on that with us. That he would bring comfort and peace and truth and light. I believe Jesus, but man, there's some stuff that I'm struggling with. Help me in my unbelief. That's an incredibly powerful prayer. Incredibly powerful. 
So faith is a gift. I'm talking about trying harder. We're talking about surrendering. Surrendering to the one who gives, trusting in him. It's not the absence of doubt or struggle and it's assurance of things hoped for, a deep conviction of things not seen. Which brings us to Romans chapter 10 where Paul says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then a little further down. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Once you see that, I'm going to read that again. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Really quickly, this is why we talk to you guys every single week about getting connected. That faith is a gift and it's dispensed in our hearing. Which means that something happens when we sit under the word of God. That's why we encourage you to come to church. That's why we tell you to get into a connect group. That's why we're constantly reminding you to read your Bibles. Something happens as we put ourselves under the word of God, as we soak in it and allow it to wash over us because we've placed ourselves under it. It builds our faith. That's not something that I can do. I can't force and muster up faith. Only Holy Spirit can do that. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So the question is, how often are you putting yourself in a place to hear? Are you getting into the word of God? Do you know the promises that he has for you? There's some incredible promises within scripture. Do you know them? Do you know the gospel? I'm not just talking, oh, I know that Jesus died. No, do you really understand what it is that Jesus has done on on your behalf? Have you grappled with it and allowed it to change you, to change your heart? Are you connected into biblical community so that other people can speak those things over you as well? Christian walk isn't meant to be done alone. It's too hard. That's why God created the church. We do it in community. We speak these things over each other. When we're really struggling, what a gift it is to have a brother or a sister come up beside you, put an arm around you, maybe just cry with you, but to remind you of the goodness of God. To help you see the goodness of God in the midst of your circumstances. It's a gift. We do it together. All of that fuels our faith. Grows faith within us. So coming back to Habakkuk. Which one of these is you? That the puffed up man trusts in himself. He's the answer. He is his own hope. Then you got the righteous man who lives by faith. Receives a gift. Which one of these is you? You don't have to make it more complex than it is. I just want you to be honest with yourself. To allow God to show you where is my trust? Where is my confidence? 
Do I place my confidence in you? Is my trust in you? Am I looking to you? Or is it in myself? And I mean, just look at what happens when your life goes wrong. What happens when you're in need? Do you go, Jesus, man, I'm struggling. I need you right now. Do you go, all right, I better fix this. A pretty good indication. Where do you place your trust, your confidence? Is it in you that you can do it, that you can fix it and make it happen? I mean, we can even do that by falling into legalism. And so here we are, modern day scribes and Pharisees. I'm following all the rules, but actually I'm not trusting in God at all. My hope is in my ability to tick the boxes and be good enough. That's not faith. Not faith. It might be religion, but your trust is in you, not in him. And ultimately that leads to destruction. God has so much more for you than that. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as meaningless, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, because we've already established it's not going to work. It's not enough. But that which comes through faith In Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. God's people live lives of faith. It's not something that we do once and then move on with our life. No, it's who we are. It's a marker of the Christian life that we live it by faith. We have this humility that knows, you know what, I am broken. Every time I try to get on the throne, it ruins everything. I can't do this. I am not the answer. Jesus, I need you. That's the marker of the Christian life. That humility, that dependence upon the grace of God. If that's not you, man, we'd love to pray with you this morning. There is nothing more important than whether or not you are in right relationship, right standing before God. And that road starts and ends with faith. Not about you or how good you are. How well you follow the rules. It means nothing. It comes down to one thing only, the person and work of Jesus by grace, through faith. And if that's not you here this morning, you might have been at this church for years. But you know, because God reveals it to you, that actually my trust isn't in him. I've never surrendered. I've never humbled myself and put my trust in someone else. I'm, I'm still trying to sit on the throne. Then man, we'd love to pray for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. You are a good God. We declare that this morning. You have done amazing things for us, your people. You lived the life that we couldn't. And you died the death that we should have. You traded places with us 
took our sin, gave us your righteousness as a gift. And for that we say thank you. Jesus, there is nothing that we can do to ever pay you back for the gift that you've given. And we thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to earn it in any way because we'd be in trouble. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not about us because every time we make it about us, it crumbles. Thank you, Jesus, that it's all about you. That in your hands we are safe. As we place our trust and our faith in you, it is secure. I pray, Jesus, for my brothers and sisters. Every one of us started the journey walking with you in faith, but it is so easy to try to wander away from that and to take our trust back away from you and to start putting it back in ourselves and to start to try to do it ourselves. And so I just pray, Jesus, may we be a people who not only who live by faith, we do it every day, continually reminded that we need to place our trust in you, that we need to look to you, our God and our King, that in you is our future and our hope. Give us humility, Jesus. May be people who depend upon you and your grace and mercy. May we never depend upon ourselves. May we never get trapped by legalism and the thinking that we can do this and I can control it and I can be good enough. Jesus, free us from that. But I pray, Jesus, there will be people in this room this morning who may have been here for a long time but really who have never surrendered. Whose trust and whose faith is actually, if they're honest, still in themselves. And we recognize, Jesus, that in our culture, because of how individualistic we are, because of how much we value freedom, that surrendering is so difficult for us. Seems like suicide, and yet there is life in that. And so I pray, Jesus, For those in this room who do not know you, who know a lot about you, but don't know you, never surrendered, Jesus, would you draw them? Would you give them the courage to bend the knee, to take their plus trust out of themselves and instead place it in you, who is faithful, who comes through for us every single time? This I pray for in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.